everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to subscribe to our Journey Callaway YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you right there. If you went to church as a kid, I bet you had this experience. At some point, your mama or your grandmama looked at you and said, don't run in God's house. You can't act that way in the house of the Lord. Well, even though this is a little dangerous for me to say, I want to suggest that when it comes to that one thing and only that one thing, they were wrong. Let me explain what I mean on this week's episode of Journey at Home. When Jesus showed up on earth, he put an end to the religion model that we've all become accustomed to. In the religion model, there are sacred places where people believe God is or they believe that's where God's presence resides. That's why you were told don't run in God's house. It's a sacred space and that sacred space had sacred texts that you should treat special. You know, in Christianity, we were taught to treat the Bible with reverence. People didn't seem to be bothered by the fact that they didn't read their Bible, but it really bothered them if you set something on top of it. And those sacred texts, well, they couldn't be understood by the common man or common woman because most people aren't spiritual enough. So you had to have sacred men with the power to interpret the text for all the sincere followers who were trying to make sure everything was good between them and God. But as we've talked about throughout this series, when Jesus showed up, he came to end the religion model and introduce something brand new that overhauls everything. He did not add to the religion model, and he didn't update the religion model. He completely replaced it. He replaced it with a new movement established by a new covenant and built on a new command. He took the old covenant between God and the Jewish people, and he said, that's finished. It's done. If it's a homework assignment, I've completed it. If it's a plane, I've landed it. You don't have to go to the temple and offer sacrifices anymore. You don't need to rely on a priest to communicate to God for you. You don't have to follow certain rules and commands to know God. That's why the writer of Hebrews called the Old Covenant outdated and obsolete. Well, those seemed like fighting words for Jewish people, but Jesus had come to introduce a brand new covenant for the world where everyone could have a relationship with God that was based on grace. Nobody needed to keep following all those Old Covenant commands anymore. Now there was a brand new way to live. So, as the message of Jesus spread, this message that Jesus had instituted something brand new that everybody was invited to, well, there were non-Jewish people by the thousands who began to follow and join Jesus' earliest Jewish followers. They had lived their whole lives in pagan religious models that didn't work. And they knew they couldn't follow the Jewish Old Covenant ways, but when the door got opened up and they discovered Jesus had made a way for them to know God, a way to be a part of his family, well, they couldn't wait to embrace it. The problem was that for Jewish people, well, this just didn't feel right. It went against everything they'd been doing for centuries. So they tried to convince all of these non-Jewish people that they ought to mix the two, the, the new covenant that Jesus introduced and the old covenant, the old Jewish ways of doing things. So fortunately for all of us non-Jewish people, along came a Jewish man to the rescue by the name of the Apostle Paul. Paul had been trained as a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee. He even claims that he was the best Pharisee of them all. 
So Paul was a product of, and he was an expert in the religion model, but he understood very quickly that what Jesus had introduced to the world, it was brand new, and it couldn't be mixed with the old way he'd been trained to follow. And so early on, Paul traveled to the Roman region of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he began telling people about Jesus. He started little churches full of both Jewish and non-Jewish people. The problem was, after he left the area, some other Jewish Jesus followers showed up. They went to these churches and they said, hey, Paul didn't tell you everything. If you're not a Jew and you want to follow Jesus, well, you've got to become a Jew too because, after all, Jesus was Jewish. As you might imagine, that made things a bit complicated for all the Gentile men because becoming Jewish would require a little surgery. So when Paul hears about this, he becomes furious. I cannot overstate how angry he was. Paul believed that what these men were doing diluted and polluted the entire message of Jesus. And so he writes a letter to the Christians in Galatia, and he expresses in very intense terms how dangerous he believed it was to mix the old with the new. His words are pretty strong. For example, he writes to remind them that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he says, stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, I don't want you to miss what Paul's teaching us. He's saying if the version of Christianity that you believe in, if the way you follow Jesus doesn't make you free, well, you're doing it wrong. That's what Paul believed. He went on to write, and he said, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, Paul wasn't against the medical procedure of circumcision, but for those Jews, as you may know, being circumcised, that was symbolic of the fact that they were following the old covenant of Judaism. So Paul just wants to make it clear. Listen, if you still believe you have to be circumcised to be right with God, then you've abandoned this new thing that I taught you, and you're clinging to the old. And Jesus' death and his resurrection for you, well, it's of no value to you. You mix the two and you made a mess of everything that Jesus came to do. And then Paul writes this. He says, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised. He's obligated to obey the whole law. In other words, you just can't mix and match from the old and the new. You can't say, okay, well, I believe Jesus died for me so that everything could be good between me and God, but I also think I still better not eat pork or God's going to be mad at me. I think Jesus died for my sins. I still think I better follow certain rules or behave a certain way or I'm going to lose my relationship with him. Paul's going, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You can't mix and match. As a matter of fact, he wrote to them and he said, you who are trying to be justified by the law, which was his way of saying you're trying to earn your way into God's favor with your behavior. Well, he says, if you're trying to do that, you've been alienated from Christ. You've actually fallen away from grace. To which they were thinking, no, we haven't. I mean, we're just trying to be good people, doing good things to make God happy. I mean, what's wrong with blending some of those old ways with this new thing you've taught us, Paul? But Paul believed everything was wrong with it because... It leads you away from grace. Now, when he writes that you have fallen away from grace, let me explain to you what he means. Let's say that you call me this week. You go, hey, Matt, I really appreciate you. I appreciate your family. I've got a $1,000 gift card I want to give you. I know this is unrealistic, but play along, all right? And I go, hey, I'm so grateful. I mean, I'm blown away. That's so nice of you, but I can't accept it. Let me pay you for it. And you go, no, 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 Matt, it's a gift. Let me just give it to you. To which I say, well, how about I give you $500 for it? 
And again, you're like, no, it's a gift. Okay, what if I give you $250 for it? No, I ju we just want to give it to you, Matt. Just let us give it to you. And I won't give up. So I say, all right, well, let me at least give you $100 for it. And then you finally, you're worn down, so you decide to take my $100. Well, what just happened? That card just went from being a gift card to a discount card. By trying to give you something for the card, I just took the gift right out of the card. Now, Paul's point here is that grace is like that gift card. If you've never understood this before, you've never had this explained, just lean in for a minute, okay? Grace is the trademark of the new covenant that Jesus introduced to the world. Grace is the idea that God knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway. It's the idea that you cannot earn a relationship with him. You don't deserve a right standing with him. You should never be forgiven by him. But he still offers you forgiveness. He still wants a relationship with you anyway. Grace is the unearned, undeserved, unexpected favor of God. And it's what Jesus offers to every one of us. But the minute you do anything to try to earn God's forgiveness, to try to earn his love, to deserve what he's giving you, if you think it's what Jesus did on the cross for you, plus something you need to do that makes you good with God, well, guess what happens? The minute you do that, grace disappears. The minute you read your Bible, the minute you come to church, the minute you try to be a good person to get or deserve God's forgiveness, grace is gone. Grace isn't a gift card anymore. Now you have a discount card. You have fallen away from grace. That's why you just can't mix the two. So Paul goes on and he writes, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, all you Jewish people who are circumcised, nor uncircumcision, all you un Gentile people who haven't been, neither one has any value. To which some of them were going, what? What? Well, I'm a Jew, so I was circumcised to follow our religious teachings. Paul's going, yeah, I know, but I've learned that has no value in where I stand with God. And all you non-Jewish people who never got circumcised, that's not helping you either. Jesus came and he introduced a brand new movement established on a brand new covenant. And then Paul makes the most extreme statement he could have written. But it's directly referencing something Jesus taught. Paul writes next, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. To which you might be thinking, seriously, like the only thing? I mean, Paul, that's a little extreme. Haven't you seen our Bibles? The really thick. There's a lot of stuff in there. Didn't you mean to say, well, here's one of the most important things that count? To which Paul would say, nope. I'm telling you, the old covenant way of living, where you're following a bunch of commands, a bunch of rules, that's over. The only thing that counts now, the only thing that matters, the only thing of value is faith is expressing itself through love. Now, if you're a Christian and you find that a little disturbing, I totally get it. I mean, if you are like, that bothers me, I understand. That makes sense. You need to tune in next time and let me show you why Paul would say this. Because he believed it deeply. But here's what I want to encourage you to think about this week. Where are you trying to earn God's approval? By following some rules? By performing some religious rituals? Instead of enjoying God's grace that's offered to you through Jesus' death and resurrection? Where's a religion model creeping into your thinking? And before you're going, oh, that's not me, I haven't done that. Well, hang on. If you have ever wondered how close you can get to sin without sinning, well, that's the religion model. 
If you've ever wondered, you know, how much I can get away with and still be on the right side of God, that's religion model thinking. If you've ever felt guiltier about missing church than how you treated somebody, there's religion model. You're acting like a place is more sacred than people and that God cares more about whether you show up than how you treat those around you. If you believe there's some religious ritual that makes you right with God and releases you from making things right with the person you sinned against, in other words, if you think showing up at church or confessing to a priest or giving some money or saying a prayer for forgiveness clears you from having to apologize or make amends with other people, well, you missed it. If other people's sins create feelings of moral superiority instead of compassion in you, it's a religion model. If you find yourself thinking, well, how could somebody be so bad? I mean, how in the world could they do something so wrong? I can't believe they, you know, I would never. Well, guess what? You just exposed your self-righteousness. If your beliefs and your theology have ever gotten in the way of you loving someone, well, I can't love them because they don't believe like me. They, they don't do what I do. You see how they act? I couldn't possibly love them. No, no. That's a religion model. And it has its way of creeping in to each of us individually and into every church collectively. I'm telling you, Jesus hates it. And when it's in us, we are on the wrong side of God and what he's trying to do in this world. See, God didn't see us in our sin and run away from us. He ran towards us. He didn't try to pay us back. He tried to win us back by giving his life on a cross for our sin. He showed us what love looks like when he was confronted by sin. I mean, that's the kind of life we're trying to help everybody discover. He didn't tell us, well, once you clean your act up, you can come back. No, he opened us, his arms to us freely. And everybody deserves to know that Jesus came to end that religion model and invite us into something brand new that overhauls everything. It is a new movement with a new covenant built on the truth that Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins. And trusting him and what he's done for us, well, the good news is that's enough. And so sure, we love him, but we love him because he first loved us. Absolutely, we serve him, but we do it because he first served us. And now the way we love him is by loving the people around us like he loves us. Because remember, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, how well do you love? Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey Calway app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church, be sure to visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.